Welcome, patrons, to today's B-Side. As a quick reminder, joining me on the line today, I've got Thomas Hanna. He is Research Director at the Democracy Collaborative in Washington, D.C., and author of Our Commonwealth, The Return of Public Ownership in the United States. Thanks again for joining us, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Had a lot of fun on the A-side. We talked about your book, made a robust, I think, a very comprehensive argument for public ownership. We defined it. We talked about the history and the legacy of public ownership in the United States, the UK, and elsewhere across the world. We talked about the strength of public ownership in terms of being resilient. Uh, we talked about its ability to weather the storms of capitalist crisis, say in public banking in Germany and uh, various institutional forms in the United States, such as the North Dakota Bank, which, as you mentioned, just celebrated its 100th anniversary. North Dakota, the People's Republic of North Dakota, <laughs> who to thunk it. Uh, you've got a sovereign wealth fund in Texas that's funding their public sector in a really interesting and um, somewhat paradoxical or at least surprising way. Public ownership is already here in some senses, and yet it's failing to deliver the kinds of results that we would want to see as people who are democratically minded trying to overcome this neoliberal hellscape that we find ourselves in today. So let's talk a little bit about the need to, to not only champion existing public ownership, but to transform it. Um, what are some of your early thoughts here in, in, on those terms? Have, have you gotten some pushback on this book so far from people who are saying, Maybe they didn't read very close. You know, they never the critics never read very closely. But uh, anyway, where people might say, "Oh yeah, well we've got public ownership in the United States, sure," but like you know, what has that delivered? Right? Like, come on! Like people could come at you know from from the right, or people could even come at you uh, proclaiming to be from the left, right? Sort of say like, oh, we've heard this before. This is just like, well, you know, the post office and the military is socialism and that works. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, clearly you have a much more nuanced uh, perspective on public ownership there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of criticism from the right, I actually – it's been quite interesting. There has not been uh, – you know, there's been a little bit of that, but I think, you know, I think the right <laughs> at this moment, especially in places like the UK, is is somewhat devoid of ideas on on economics. Their their ideas have really have failed or are failing, and and they're really grappling um, for for ideas. and And so there has not been a lot of of criticism, I think, from from the right, from the left. You know, there there's obviously this this argument that I that I hundred percent agree with that yeah okay the United States has all of these really interesting publicly owned institutions and models and this really fascinating history but like this isn't socialism you know the the you know the, this this is just you know public enterprise at the local level very conventional very traditional you know doesn't doesn't really do anything to to build a, a socialist economy uh, and and politics in the United States. And as I said, I 100% agree with that. I, I think that that's that's a very good observation. I mean, you know, the history of many of these institutions is rooted in interesting politics. Uh, is is rooted in socialist politics and populist politics in in many cases. I mean, you just mentioned the Bank of North Dakota, and and you know the there there's a reason why. 
there are a lot of these institutions exist in the Midwest. And, and that's that, you know, in, in a different time in, in this country's history, the Midwest was a, was a hot zone for socialist organizing. The, the Bank of North Dakota, for instance, was formed by the, the Nonpartisan League, which is essentially an offshoot of the Socialist Party in, in North Dakota, which represented small farmers and, and small business people against the corporate monopolies, the grain monopolies, the railroad monopolies, and so on and so forth. And, you know, this existed, same with Nebraska. I mean, there, there's a long sort of history of prairie socialism, agrarian socialism in the United States. And that's why a lot of these institutions uh, remain remain there. But they have become very conventional over time. And and this is the case also with state-owned enterprises, public own enterprises around the world, especially in the United Kingdom. In many places, these are very traditional, top-down, managerial, bureaucratic forms of enterprise. They they have very little relationship or connection to the people, their workers, to the community members, and and so on. You know, this is one of the things that happened in the United Kingdom and, and allowed for privatization to happen so quickly. You know, there was there was a deep disconnect between the sort of Morrisonian model of public ownership that's uh, named after the Labour Party, um, the person in the Labour Party who helped set up this particular model, who was somewhat skeptical about workers and community members and others being involved in, in these enterprises and wanted them to be run very sort of scientifically, run by a managerial class, um, you know, run sort of arm's length from government, very top down very large uh, enterprises. Um, and they didn't build a constituency of support. So when Margaret Thatcher and the conservatives came along and and said, okay, we're going to privatize these things, you didn't see people lining up uh, to defend them. You didn't see you know mass struggle to defend our public services and our public enterprises. I think you actually see something a little bit different in the United States. And, and, that, and part of the reason is uh, the decentralization of the United States and the fact that these publicly owned enterprises are generally much smaller, they're much closer to the people, uh, they're in some cases much more democratic. You know, for instance, in Nebraska, you know, you can run as a person to the elected board of the power utility. You know, they have actual elections for running these enterprises. And just re- and in recent years, uh, climate activists, renewable energy activists are starting to run for the boards of these public power authorities in uh, Nebraska to try and to effectuate change. I mean, that's one of the benefits of the sort of U.S. model of public ownership is that it is somewhat more democratic and closer and more accountable. And, and when people come to privatize things, people actually do organize against that. I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of that recently in the water sector. Um, you know, Baltimore just recently passed a a referendum that banned water privatization. They amended their city charter to ban ever the prospect of water privatization in Atlantic City. Lots of groups like the NAACP and the ACLU and community and civic uh, groups came together to basically defend their publicly owned water system and to defend it against privatization. Same in Florida. There's a big activist movement in Florida in in the uh, earlier part of this century to defeat water privatization and bring things back into public ownership. So you actually see people like, you know, defend and rallying around their public services because they are closer to the people. They are a little bit more democratically accountable. But it's definitely, again, not a panacea in the United States either. It's it's not enough. We really, I think, want to move much more forcefully into democratizing public ownership and, and to involve, as we discussed, I think, on the A side, um, involving workers, uh, consumers, you know, residents, other people in the governance structure uh, of these enterprises. And, and that's, I think, now, that's one of the things I've been working on uh, with in advising the Labour Party. The Labour Party, in terms of a political party, is is way out in front on on many of these issues uh, than than most part people in 
in the rest of the world, especially the Democratic Party here in the United States. I mean, we're still, I think, in the United States trying to get public ownership and cooperatives and other forms of ownership recognized as an integral part of the political platform. In the UK, the Labour Party fully understands this and actually is moving forward. Okay, so we we get it. We need to change ownership in, in the economy. Now what? What types of ownership? Like, how do we structure that? You know, what makes it different than what we've done in the past? And and so, you know, in terms of public ownership, I think we, we really need to be thinking about you know, what are the different roles in the governance structure? How do you do participatory planning? You know, how do you know, one of the one of the interesting examples from around the world in terms of public ownership is a bank, it's Banco Popular uh, in Costa Rica. Uh, they have a 290 person general assembly. Um, and that general assembly is drawn from workers in different sex segments of society from all across the country. The general assembly elects four members of the bank's governing board, the state appoints another three members of the board. They do a popular planning and consultation process around the country every certain number of years. And as a result of all of this, they've become one of the leading ecological uh, lenders in Costa Rica, uh, a green bank uh, there. You know, the, there's other examples from around the world. Um, in Spain, they're doing, in, in Cadiz, Spain, they've done a, a, an energy roundtable where the publicly owned electric utility has come together with residents, with consumers, with other businesses, other stakeholders. Uh, to decide how they transition to 100% renewable energy uh, in Cadiz, Spain. And as a result, they've done these public-public partnerships where their uh, energy utility is partnering with another municipality um, on their energy goals. They've uh, basically done a, you know, they've lowered their rates for low-income people. They've done a whole lot of really progressive things that have come out of this participatory planning process. Um, in Cadiz, Spain. And again, there are examples from all across the world, uh, participatory budgeting in Porto Alegre in Brazil, that's been extended to their water utility, their publicly owned water utility there. The Paris water utility, uh, Eau de Paris, um, has a multi-stakeholder board, it has a citizen uh, observatory that sits alongside the water observatory um, there. Um, you know, very, very interesting examples from around the world about- Water fountains, I'm sorry, just I got to butt in here to tell the audience here. Water fountains in parts of France that have still and sparkling water. Exactly. How fucking amazing is that? <laughs> Can you imagine like just drinkable water out in the public, you know, somewhere, but hmm, do I want still or sparkling water today? I think I'll have the sparkling Jeeves. Yeah. It's uh, it's, you know, that that's fucking, that's a civilized society, Thomas. Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, my God, like <laughs> it's uh, a cat Hobbs uh, from we own it likes to call it socialism with a sparkle. And that concludes the free teaser from this week's B-Side with Thomas Hanna. I hope that you all learned something in that 10 to 15 some odd minutes. And our chat uh, goes very, very deep. We talk about some of the pitfalls, traps, and contradictions of public ownership and worker co-ops. We break down some of the right-wing and centrist ideology that tries to oppose the democratic self-management of the working class in public ownership. And uh, we go deep, as always, as we always do on the B-Sides at DPS. But you're going to miss out if you're not a patron, so head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and smash that subscribe button. You'll get access to our weekly B-Sides, and you'll also get the benefit of the warm and fuzzies of knowing that you are supporting the New Left Agenda and keeping this political project alive. I think we do something very unique on DPS. I love all of my podcasts out there, all of my socialist and lefty progressive podcasters and video creators out there. 
There's room for all of us. We need a robust ecosystem with different people focusing on different issues and different topics from different angles. But with that being said, I think DPS has a very unique niche in that socialist ecosystem. And we're doing stuff that I don't see anybody else doing. And uh, I really attribute that to the hard work and the innovative genius of my guests out there who are always on the cutting edge of some of the most important topics, issues, policies, and politics of the day. So if you listen to DPS on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, uh, or you just want to support these politics, I urge you to head over to patreon.com slash pundits and become a subscriber today. You'll get instant access to the entirety of not only this B-side episode, but all of our B-sides going back two and a half some odd years. So if you become a patron, you've got a lot of listening to do. All right. See you next week.